I just want to try to be efficient this morning, a little multitasking. Sure. You know, while I preach, I can maybe get my exercise in. Yeah. This I'm just thinking. feels right. That's what I'm saying. I mean, you know, it's all about being efficient and by performing well and making sure that everything's working. And we're going quickly. And so I just thought I'd bring this out this morning. The great thing about these things, you can, you can set the speed. Oh, you can. Yeah, so look, I, I can put this, and I it starts. Like oh, wait, I got to start. I got to start it. Hold on. You got to get going here, and I get to set the speed. Now, see, this is, this is pretty good. Nice little pace to go at, don't you think? Does your life look at all like this? Is this kind of your, your pace? Is this how you're going? Just like this, cruising along. But then, you know, the problem is you get started like this, and then, you, you know, you say yes to a couple more things. And then pretty soon... You know, it starts to speed up, right? And pretty soon you're like, whoa, okay. Okay, I can do this. I can do this. I'm, I'm in good shape. I can run this fast. I can do this. I don't know how long you can do this. Now, the thing is, we, we start ourselves in the treadmill early. We teach our kids how to get in the treadmill quite early, don't we? It's like get good grades, join the club at school, be in travel sports, go to 50 games a summer, run all the practices, Keep going, keep moving, keep going, get a good ACT score, a good SAT score, a good GPA, because you got to get a good college, because if you get a good college, you have a great life, and then you'll be able to live like all the rest of us, like this. And then, of course, you say yes to more things, and then you get it going a little faster, and you say, okay, how long can I keep this up? Can I slow this thing down? I can't seem to slow this thing down. It's out of control. I'm losing it here. You ever feel like this? You ever find yourself in this kind of situation? It slows down a little bit, then it speeds back up, then it slows down and speeds back up, and pretty soon you're totally out of breath. You ever feel like you would love to just, just push the stop button? Whew. How long I can keep that up? How long can you keep it up? Because most of us, if we really are honest, Live our lives and that kind of thing. You know, when you look up treadmill in Webster's Dictionary, one of the definitions is this. A wearisome or monotonous routine from which it is hard to escape. Mike Heckinelli, the late Mike Heckinelli, who was the youth ministry guru of the world back in the day, he wrote this. We are going as fast as we can, living life at a dizzying speed, and God is nowhere to be found. We're not rejecting God. We just don't have time for him. We've lost him in the blurred landscape as we rush to church. We don't struggle with the Bible, but with the clock. It's not that we're too decadent, we're too busy. We don't feel guilty because of sin, because we have no time for our spouses, our children, or our God. It's not sinning too much that's killing our souls, it's our schedule that's annihilating us. Most of us don't come home at night staggering drunk. Instead, we come home staggeringly tired, worn out, exhausted, and drained because we live too fast. Dallas Willard, before his death, he's a philosophy professor. He was a philosophy professor at University of Southern California. He was best known outside of Christian circles as a teacher of the way of Jesus. He said this, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Corey Tenboom once said this, 
the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Now, in our culture, slow is a negative word. True? In fact, when you refer to someone as slow, this is not a positive compliment. When I was playing golf yesterday with my sons, in fact, the people in front of us were slow. It was annoying. They were holding us up. We had to stand on the tee and wait each shot in between and talk to each other. We couldn't just play at 90 miles an hour. The round took too long. It was too stinking slow. In fact, when I was in New Mexico last week at a camp there, I decided to go to Wendy's for lunch, and I got through the Wendy's line. I'm in the line. I'm there for way too long, and I explained to the Wendy's worker at the window. I said, ma'am, this is called fast food. If I wanted real food, I'd go to a real restaurant with a chef and sit at the table and have them serve me. But since this is fast food, if it's not fast, it's really not worth it. That's what kind of a jerk I am. (laughs) Right? Do you relate at all? I mean, am I just preaching to myself? This is what I do. Do you have the same problem I have? Are you hurry sick, moving 90 miles per hour with no time to stop, running on a treadmill, hurtling towards a relationship with Jesus that is, I don't know, not all that he offers, far less than what he offers? Do you ever ever play the game in the supermarket? You get in the supermarket, you get to the lines, and it's like, okay, I think this line's the shortest. And then you sit there and you watch across and see if you're beating the people that you chose to get in the other line and see if you're beating them. Or if you get in a traffic jam, you're, you're moving lanes all the time because you're thinking, okay, one of these lanes is going to be the magic lane to get me out of this as quickly as possible. How often do you get to sit down with someone and look them in the eye and listen to them? This idea that quick texts or Snapchats or Facebook messages or whatever we're sending each other, that this is real relationship. Seriously? Those friends you have on social media, they're not really your friends. They're just acquaintances you just shoot things back and forth to all the time. You know the one that hit me the hardest? I read this this week. Sunset fatigue. When I come home so tired, so preoccupied, so drained, that I can't even love the people that I've made the deepest promises to. Because I'm annoyed, I'm short, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I'm tired. And so connecting with my wife, my children, whoever is supposed to be around me that I'm supposed to be loving and looking in the eye, I just can't do it. I'm exhausted. Catholic writer Ronald Rollheiser says that we have a disease. It's called pathological busyness. Now this makes me wonder, what drives us to be so busy? If Andy Crouch is right, if every idol offers us something... What does busyness offer us that keeps us going back to the well and getting it? Every, off, every idol offers us something but delivers little on their actual promises. And yet, all of us are running 90 miles an hour. That's the culture we live in. So there must be something at stake. We must be getting something from this. So I, looked, I thought about this. Is the first thing we get is this. We value busyness. If you can say, I'm busy, somehow it's a badge of honor. True? I mean, you're not going to tell people, oh, I got all kinds of time on my hands. I'm, I'm, I got lots of leisure on my hands. I remember the first pastor I worked with, it's all he talked about was how busy he was. I work 70 hours a week, blah, 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 blah. You just go on and on. Every, time, every meeting we were in, it just talked about how busy he is. 
This was somehow a badge of honor. He was really a pastor because he was super busy. Somehow this busyness builds our self-esteem, makes us feel more important, makes us feel greater, like we're really doing something in the world, like we're really significant. The busier you are, the more significant you must be. The second thing it does, second thing it offers, it offers us a way to escape. Because when you're busy running 90 miles an hour, you have no time to deal with what's going on here. You have no time to think about it. As long as you're on this, and that thing is going, and you keep pushing the buttons, and you just keep running, you never have to deal with what's going on inside. You can always just keep ignoring it, pretending like you're fine. Everything's great. Everything's wonderful. Isn't it weird how sometimes your body can be going so fast on the treadmill that somehow your insides start going fast too? And even when you sit down, you can't slow your insides down? Ever have this experience? You sit down and your mind's going 9.50. You wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning and your mind's going 9.50 because you just can't slow down? Yeah, I've had that experience. John Ortberg says this, For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith, is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied, we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. So if you think about it, you're made up in three parts, right? Your body, which moves and goes and moves and goes, and then you've got your soul, which is your mind and your emotions and your, your personality, your will. I think each of us has a unique soul in the room. God gives us each a unique soul. Some people are more wired like me, kind of hyped out bananas. Other people are more calm and cool and cucumbers. But then there's a deeper part of us that all of us have, and that's the part that's deep inside. That's your spirit. It's the part where God is longing to connect with you. It's the part that literally hungers for a connection with the Father. It's hungry for a connection with the Father. So like literally everyone in the world, they don't know what it is always, but there's a deep cry from inside to connect with the Father in some deep way. Here's the problem. When you're super busy and running and going and running and going, your spirit gets like drowned out. That cry from inside, you can't even hear it. And if God's whispering to you, you certainly can't hear God whispering when you're running on the treadmill at 90 miles an hour. And when you can't quiet your mind and your soul and your emotions, you just never hear God. So your relationship with God becomes just kind of, you know, just surfacey, quick, fast. So is there a remedy? Is there a way out? Can we put away the treadmill? Well, look at Matthew 11. Kara did it great. She, she did great. I, I was going to start yelling at these kids, hurry, hurry, let's go, we got to go, we got to go. You ever done that to your kids? What are you guys taking so long for? Let's go, we got to go, we got to go. <laughs> yeah, I've done that many times. Look at Jesus. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. So Jesus was a rabbi. A rabbi had two things. First was a yoke. His yoke was considered to be the way he read the Bible, the way he interpreted the scripture. So his yoke was actually 
kind of like uh, his prescription of how he read the scripture for how you were to live your life to have a full and complete life. How to carry the weight of life was the yoke of the rabbi. So each rabbi taught people how to carry the weight of, the, of their life, the weight of everything. And so there was comments on marriage and divorce and sexuality and prayer and money and conflict resolution and the government. It was all included in the yoke of the rabbi. Teaching each person how to carry the yoke of the rabbi. This is how you live your life to have a meaningful life. It, it's a way to shoulder the load. You know what a yoke is, right? You put two oxen in a yoke. You put a yoke around their neck. And then they pull together. So Jesus is offering us a chance to do life next to him. So here's Jesus, and we get a yoke put on us, and he carries the weight of our lives with us and for us, walking alongside of us. That's what the offer is. That's the invitation. Don't do this alone. You don't have to do this alone. I can help you carry the yoke, and my yoke is easy. It's light. It's peaceful. It's different. Right? So he's offering this thing to us. Secondly, Jesus had apprentices, disciples, people that were following his yoke, who were saying, I want to be like this. And if you were an apprentice of Jesus, you had three goals. Be like Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus would do if he were you. So if Jesus were you, how would he live your life? Because obviously Jesus had his own life. It's different than your life. So the question is, how would Jesus live your life if he were you? Right? Um, this invitation, this verse is an invitation. It's like, come and do this. Now, it's interesting. Dallas Willard, the guy I quoted earlier, this, the philosophy professor, he said that the secret of the easy yoke is actually hidden in Matthew chapter 11. He says it this way. In this truth lies the secret of the easy yoke. The secret involves living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall lifestyle. So here's the thing. We all know this verse, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. We focus a lot on Jesus being the truth and the life, right? We know what those mean. But what does it mean that Jesus is the way? What it means is that he is actually showing us the way we're supposed to live. So when we talk about being disciples of Jesus, being people that follow Jesus, we're trying to make our lives look like his life. He actually modeled for us the way life was supposed to look when he was on planet Earth. So he was on planet Earth for 33 years, three years as an adult, and modeled for us this way of life. So we can learn how to live like this rabbi in this peaceful, easy way by living Jesus' way, by adopting his way of life. So how does Jesus' life get, help to get us off the treadmill? Well, let's look at this. Was Jesus busy? Yes, he was. Now, let me show you. Check these verses out. Mark 4. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake. He couldn't even stand on the shore. People were pushing so hard, they were going to push him into the lake. So many people coming to hear him. So many people going to be healed. Massive crowd. Here's another one, Mark chapter 5, one chapter later. Look at this. When Jesus again crossed over, so he tries to get away from the crowd, he goes to the other side of the lake. When he crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. So again, the people now follow him to the new place. This whole crowd just walks all the way around the lake. By the way, Sea of Galilee is 8 miles wide, 12 miles long. These people aren't going by boat. They're, they're walking around the lake to get to Jesus. Crowds of people. 
Check this one out, Mark 6. Now, because so many people were coming and going, they, they did not even have a chance to eat. So Jesus and his disciples are so busy doing ministry, they can't even eat lunch, breakfast, dinner. They, they have no time to eat. They're just ministering to people. They're super busy. So is busyness the problem? Is being busy bad or negative or evil? No. No, Jesus was so busy, but in the midst of the busyness, we can find a practice that Jesus practiced, a way of life, a rule of life that was consistent. Check Mark 6.31 out again. Look at this. And because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, let's go off to a quiet place and rest for a while. So he says to the disciples, we're gonna, we're gonna, we got to check out. we got to go to a quiet place. Guess what? It didn't work. The people followed them to the quiet place. You know what had to happen? They had to feed 5,000 people, probably 15,000 people out of a lunch in this remote place. It was so remote that there was no food there. There was no McDonald's. There was no Wendy's. There was no fast food. They just had a, Jesus had to do this miracle. So the miracle's over. And then we read this in Luke. Look at this. Vast crowds came to hear him preach and be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. I love this. This is not the first time we read this. It's not the only time we read this. Jesus takes his disciples. Karen, go back one to, to the one in uh, Mark, I think it is, right? The one that says immediately after this? Yeah. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida. While he sent the people home, after telling everyone goodbye, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. Now, this Greek word... It's in these passages. It's the word eremos. It means wilderness, desert, deserted place, desolate place, solitary place, quiet place. Jesus chooses a quiet place because as a human, he needs time to reconnect with his father. He needs time to hear his father's voice. He needs time to have a real relationship with his God. You know the problem with our busyness? We never make time for God. We can't fit him in. It's just the truth, right? We're going so fast. There's so many important things to do. Going to a quiet place like Jesus did, doesn't, it crosses our minds, but we never get there. I mean, I'm preaching to myself. It crosses my mind, but then I come up with 10 reasons why not to go to the quiet place. To hear from God. You know, uh, I was in Colorado a few weeks ago. There was 450 high school students and their leaders there. And on Wednesday night, um, I couldn't do anything in the chapel. The chapel was supposed to hold 200 people. There were 450 people inside there, so you can picture this, right? So I couldn't have an exercise in the chapel, so I simply said to the kids, I want you to put your cell phones away, put them down on your seat or whatever you got to do with them, turn them off. I want you to go outside Somewhere on this mountain, I'm going to give you 15 minutes of total silence. And I want you to just sit before the Lord and be quiet. I mean, it was awesome. You could have heard a pin drop on that camp. 450 kids, I could see them all over the place, sitting on the ground, kneeling. I gave them buckets of water to go to if they needed to go and kind of drop something, leave something with the Lord. 
and several kids were getting up, going to the buckets, back to their quiet place. It was amazing. It's probably not something they've done maybe their whole lives, not for 15 minutes. I told them it would feel like an eternity. I told them that they had to just let their inner chaos settle down and see if they could hear the voice of the Lord. So when that was done, a young lady from Florida, her name is Annabelle, she approached me and she said, hey, can you pray for me? So I went over and took Annabelle to the side and I heard her story. She said that she had grown up thinking that her parents were trying to kill her since she was six years old. This is her constant fear in her life. She told me when she got to camp, she was in a bathroom in a total panic attack, completely unable to shut down the anxiety, losing her mind. And this is how she lives her life all the time. I asked her what the Lord had said to her while she was sitting there by herself. She said, well, the Lord told me that he wants to heal me. So I said, Annabelle, I want us to pray right now. And I took Annabelle back to that swimming pool where she was when she first started thinking her parents were trying to kill her. That's an evil thought. It's a crazy thought. It doesn't come from heaven. It comes from the dark side. I took her back there and I said, okay, Annabelle, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to tell me if Jesus is there anywhere in the pool with you. She immediately said, Oh, yeah. He's sitting right on the stairs there. I said, okay, why don't you tell Jesus, Annabelle, what's going on in your mind right now? What's happening to this six-year-old little girl? She talks to Jesus about that. And I took her to the bathroom where the panic attack happened, did the same thing. Jesus was there with her there. By the time we were done praying, by the time she was done with this silence, it was like you could see this weight. And I thought of this verse, you know, come to me, when you're weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. I will give you peace. I will give you joy. I will give you the ability to love again. Maybe you're sitting here this morning. You haven't taken any time to think about what's going on inside you. You haven't taken any time to really deal with it. Maybe you just keep running on the treadmill, hoping it will go away on its own. Maybe you need healing. Maybe you need to come to Jesus. Maybe you need to accept his invitation. To come to me if you're weary, heavy laden. If you're tired of the treadmill, come to me. I can hear the objections, actually. Here's what Henry Nouwen says, the Catholic priest. Without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and listen to him. I can hear the objections, Klein. Jesus didn't have four kids under the age of eight. I get it. Or, you know, Jesus never had a smartphone or an email to deal with. True. He, he didn't have an Andy's to go to at 10 o'clock at night and get the chocolate chip concrete like I go. Right? Didn't have that. Distraction. You know, I, I know Jesus didn't have these things, but the question is, how would Jesus live your life if he were you? Would he still find those quiet places to go to? Would he still find a place to go and be quiet with the Lord? Would he just, you know, you saw the story, he's super busy. He just keeps going after the quiet place until he gets to that place where he's by himself with just him and God. A lot of people will tell me they don't have time for this. 
I hate to give you the statistics, but the average American spends 705 hours on social media in a year. So just add that up. The average American spends 2,700 hours watching, binging television shows in a year. The average male, by the time they're 21 years old, spends 10,000 hours playing video games. According to research, in 10,000 hours, you can become an expert at anything. So you can be an expert at Fortnite, at Call of Duty, or maybe an expert at the New Testament, or at getting to know Jesus. It's a possibility. You know that Kyler Murray, the 21-year-old, the 22-year-old quarterback of the Arizona Cardinals, his statistics last year were doing really well for six games, then Call of Duty came out, and his, his statistics dropped off the charts. They tried to write into his contract this year that he would put a Call of Duty away and watch NFL film instead. Because he just can't stop himself. The treadmill. The treadmill. Now I was thinking about this a few weeks ago. What makes camp so impactful? Like I love camp. I've got videos this week from Young Life Camp, from Jackson Kemper. It was awesome just to watch kids. I've been at three camps this summer. It's been amazing. What makes camp so impactful? Well, I'll give you some things. First of all, there's no TV there. So 9 o'clock at night comes, and we're all forced to do something together because we can't turn the TV on. It doesn't exist. In fact, your cell phone has pretty shoddy reception at camp. In the middle of the mountains, it sometimes works, sometimes doesn't work which is awesome. So you have to put your cell phone down and actually talk to somebody. So at camp, at night at 9 o'clock, kids are playing games, Settlers of Catan, and all these games are going on in the room together. People are all just playing games together. Do you know at camp we eat together? Common meal times? We sit at the table and we talk to each other. I meet people I don't even know. I sit across from kids I don't know and I get to talk with them. It's amazing. But you know what's really impactful about camp? We worship twice a day. It's built into the schedule. But you know the most impactful thing? This is the most impactful thing that happens every day at camp. There is a time in the morning. It's called time alone with God. There's an hour set aside every morning in every camp schedule for time alone with God. And everybody in camp together has time alone with God. And they go on their own somewhere by themselves to a quiet place and hang out with their God. That is always the most impactful part of camp. So it's okay to be busy, but will you get some time alone with God this week? Will you hear his voice? Will you soak him in? Will you let him heal you deep inside? That's only going to happen in the quiet place, off the treadmill. Will you join me? All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, Thank you for the example of how you lived your life. Thank you that we can look to the way you did this, Lord. And we can follow that example. We can see, Lord, that you were super busy and lots to do, super important stuff. Yet you were willing to walk away from all that to be with your Father, to connect with your Father, to be alone with him. Lord, give us the willpower, give us the resolve to do the same with our Father in heaven today. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.